Welcome to the Hope Revolution messages. You'll be able to find our sermon podcast at hoperevolution.church forward slash sermon, as well as all other podcast players. We hope you enjoy this message. About 20 years ago, I went to a high school reunion. Starting to give my age, it was a 10-year reunion 20 years ago, so work that out. And it was a good night catching up with old friends, people that I hadn't seen for a long time. And at the end of the night, one of the guys had drunk too much and was convinced he still wanted to drive home. And so a few of us that were hanging around him said, no, no, mate, that's just a crazy idea. There is no way you should be driving home. And he was like, no, no, I really, really want to drive home. We're like, no, no, that's fine. Why don't you leave your car here? Someone else will drive you home. And he said, there's no way I'm leaving my car here. I said, we're in Karambara. What could possibly go wrong? It's a population of, I don't know, 5,000 people. It's not like your car's going to get... No, I'm not leaving my car here. So he said, well, why don't one of us drive you home? In your car... Then you've got your car, someone else will follow, pick them up and leave. And he very, very reluctantly went, okay, let's do that. So he started walking out to his car and I was going to drive his car home with him in the passenger seat because I hadn't been drinking that night. And as we approached his car... I started to understand his hesitation for him to leave the car or for me to drive his car. He had a really, really nice car that he'd invested a lot of money into. That it turns out that he takes down to Calder Park and races. There was not much on the car that was original. It had all been customised. And as we approached his car, he said... I think I'm okay to drive. I think I'm okay. As he saw his own car, my realisation of what I was getting myself into driving his car was realised, but he realised what he was giving up as well to let someone else drive his car. And he said, I think I'm okay to drive. And myself and the other guys went, no, 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 you, aren't dri- you are not okay to drive. There was no, no sober person would have agreed that he was okay to drive. So he said, well, at least let me start the car. We're thinking to ourselves, is this a trick to get him in the driver's seat? Like, what's he doing here? But then when he opened the door and I saw all the extra dials and bits and pieces and switches he had in there, I was like, no, no, he can start his own car. I'm perfectly fine with that. And so he did everything that he had to do. It was like a five-minute process just to start this thing. And uh, he started the car and then he said, I think I'm doing okay now. It's like, no, no, you're not doing okay. You're not driving your car home. And so he went to the passenger seat and I got into the driver's seat. And um, I very, very carefully drove this guy's... I've never driven a car that powerful in my life before. I don't think I ever got out of second because this thing was just so... Like, I understand when people say the car's hotted up. It was just... It was just on edge the whole time. It just wanted to go. And if you know Karamburra, it's a very hilly area and most of the 
regional roads are dirt roads. And so I'm driving very carefully around dirt roads around the back of Currumburra thinking this guy would have gone off a cliff. There was no way he was going to make it home. But I was very carefully, and he was very carefully watching me like a hawk. And you know, I had no issue having a backseat driver that day because I was quite happy to get given advice. But I understood his investment and his appreciation for his car better after driving. It was a very special car, very significant car. You see, I don't think we appreciate and actually understand what we carry as Jesus followers. I don't think we actually comprehend, I don't think we will ever on this earth fully comprehend what we actually carry as Jesus followers. God has gifted us with his word. And we kind of go, well, what does that mean? It's, it is divine, unchanging, powerful, holy word. Both word written down and word divinely spoken through the Holy Spirit. It's called Logos and Rima. And as followers of Jesus, we carry this precious gift. Jesus' disciples were with him, and Jesus taught some stuff that didn't go across so well, and a whole heap of his followers left him. And this is what happened from John 6. John 6, starting at verse 66, says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Where are we going to go? Because you carry the words of eternal life. They'd recognized who he was and how significant his words were. Words of eternal life. Second Peter reflects this as well. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. This is Peter trying to describe how significant this is. And because of this glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Because we're not going to fully get it, I don't want us to ignore it. I want us just to pause and recognize how precious and how significant, how powerful the engine is, <laughs> how well 
equipped we are because of God's divine nature, his precious and excellent gift, marvellous glory and excellence. You get a little bit of a glimpse of this when Jesus, after he rose from the dead, hung out with his disciples on the road to Emmaus. And afterwards they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? When Jesus speaks, his followers' hearts burn. Now, if you believe and follow Jesus, you know and have experienced the good news of the kingdom of God. And you carry his divine nature. This is absolutely spectacular. And for the last few weeks, we've been pausing and looking at and being inspired by God. And you might go, that's a pretty generic thing, isn't it? But life often gets complicated and we forget the significance, the, the amazing wonder and awe, the power, the transforming creator of the universe, his design, his passion, actually who he is and what he reflects and what he's done and what he means in our lives. Today my plan was to move on and continue talking about being inspired by God's practice, by what he does, by his actions. And I had four fantastic points. But as I started unpacking the first point, I really felt I wasn't allowed to move on to the second point because the first point is so significant. And so this week, we're just going to look at one point out of the four points and we'll hopefully get to the next three next week. Today, we're looking at integrity. Looking at character. Because we cannot carry the good news of Jesus Christ and not hunger and thirst after righteousness. The, the two are, are completely compatible and you can't have one without the other. And today, I just want to pause and examine our hearts, check our motives and strive for integrity and godly character. Jesus had a pretty severe warning to those that try to hold on to the gospel and a corrupt heart at the same time. Trying to hold on to God's truth and what God has and a corrupt heart is incompatible. And this is what Jesus said to those that were trying to do that. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, 
First wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? You are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You and I have nothing to offer the world without integrity. In fact, it's more serious than that. Because without integrity, we actually corrupt the very gospel we proclaim. How many people do you know that you've come across have rejected God because of the lack of integrity in the church or Christians? I know many. It's the biggest thing that I would say from my one-person experience of people that have decided that God's not worth following but have once been connected with church is because of integrity, the contradiction, the hypocrisy. And I absolutely don't want Jesus to be saying what sorrow awaits you, Matt, because of your hypocrisy. Now, I find watching most regular TV shows and movies often great on me. Catherine would uh, attest to that because she has to cop the rant that, that I give about the movie. Because a lot of movies have suspension and tension in them that are created when friends or, or a couple or two people that like each other one of them experiences or, or understands or, or discovers something significant and decides not to tell the other person. It makes for an exciting show and it means for a really good plot line in a movie. But it's just really irritating. The movie would be over in five minutes if they just told them what was going on. I don't know what's going on, but I seem to have this strange superpower. Can I explain it to you? It's like, movie over, solved. I'm really stressed because someone's blackmailing me. What should I do about it? Movie over, solved. I'm not sure where our relationship is at. Can we grab a coffee and talk about how we're feeling? Movie over, problem solved. If people actually talked about what was going on rather than had this, I was trying to protect you and I was trying, there was, you know, you'd have five-minute movies. And it just irritates me watching them going, just talk about it. <laughs> we discovered a number of years ago that Catherine, who would have been probably about 12 at the time, and she's given me permission to share this story, was watching YouTube on her laptop at 3 a.m. in the morning. And we have a really good network system that I know exactly what's going on on my network at home. And when you do foster care, you need it. And so I sat down with Catherine and said, Catherine, can you bring your laptop, please? And I opened up her laptop and I said, Catherine, it looks like you've been using the internet 
after bedtime. And she said, oh really? Oh, I don't know anything about that. I said, really? Because I can see from the network, which she didn't realise how much I could see, but I can see from the network that it was used when you were meant to be asleep last night. And she's like, oh yeah, I just needed to check my subjects for tomorrow. I was just a bit worried about my subjects and so, yeah, probably not long after I went to bed, I, t I, I put my laptop on and, and, and had a look at my subjects for the next day. I was like, okay, and that's all you were doing? Yeah, I might have left my laptop on. Maybe it was downloading something while, uh, you know, I, I might have forgotten to turn it off. Maybe that's why there was some network activity. I said, Catherine, let's go and have a look at the history in your browser. YouTube, 3 a.m., YouTube, 10 past 3, YouTube, 20 past 3. And immediately she burst into tears. I went, I'm so sorry, Dad. I've stuffed up. And I explained to Catherine, look, there's one thing to do something wrong. But when you choose to cover it up and lie about it, you're taking things to a whole new level because you're actually betraying trust. And what you've created here is not just watching YouTube videos in the middle of the night and a problem that we need to fix, but you're actually making me question every single thing that comes out of your mouth. Because now I don't know when you say something whether it's right or not. When I ask you, have you had a good day at school, and you say, yes, is it true? I don't know now. This one choice, this one conversation has actually broken down our relationship and the trust in our relationship. It's not just doing something wrong. Integrity goes so much deeper and it's so much more significant. And right now, my head's going through a whole heap of other scenarios that do I have to check? Do I have to find out whether you've, you know, are you smoking? I don't know. She said, I'm not smoking. I said, but this is the problem. Your word now has less credibility than it did five minutes ago because you chose to use it to deceive, to subvert the truth. And we now have a big, bigger problem than just doing the wrong thing. I remember one day calling someone that was in the church at the time, they're not here, so you um, don't have to wonder if it's you. And one of their kids answered the phone. And I said, look, can I speak to dad, please? And they said, just a minute. And they left. What they didn't realize is that I could hear their conversation. And the dad said to the child, can you tell them I'm not here? And so the child obediently came back to the phone and said, I'm sorry, dad's not here. I said, no worries. Thanks. See you later. But my heart was so grieved. And parents, can I please, please tell you and urge you, 
do not coach your kids to lie. There is no white lies. There are lies and there are not lies. There's 20 answers he could have said that would have been perfectly honest and he still didn't have to answer the phone. I don't know if he was busy. I don't know what the scenario was, but you can still be honest. But what's created there is a culture of deception, of lying, of mistrust that is going to bite that parent in the butt because what they coached, they are going to receive. And as an 18-year-old, when the kid goes, I wasn't doing it, I wasn't there, I had nothing to do with it when they were, the parent's going to have to say, well, I coached that, I taught that. If things are uncomfortable, I'll just lie. It's not really surprising that God does this amazingly well. That his integrity is flawless. When we think about God, we know he's faithful, we know he is just, we know he is good, we know he's loving. We know that God is trustworthy. And it's not just that he looks trustworthy. It's not like doing a smoke and mirrors sort of putting on a show. We would say that his motive, that his character, that his nature, that drives his decisions, that drives his practice, is good because he has integrity. And God's integrity makes him believable. Just think about it for a second. It's only God's integrity that makes him believable. If he had no integrity, we would not believe him. We would not trust him. We would not give our lives to him. And as many reflectors of God that we've been talking about in the last few weeks, many reflectors of God's goodness, he calls us to be people of integrity, of, of good character to reflect him, to glorify him. John 13, starting at verse 34, says... A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now this love, this agape love, is not fleeting. It's not performance-based. It's not feelings-oriented. It's grounded in character. It's grounded in value. It's grounded in belief. It's grounded in knowledge. It's grounded in conviction. This love comes out of character. It comes out of integrity. It's genuine. And you notice that it says, it's not saying, you know, there's going to be some people who have a bit of a hunch. It says, all people will know that you are my disciples. That's, that's this love. This love will be convincing love that all people will know that you are my disciples. 1 Timothy 4, 
Paul paints a bit of a picture when he's, when he's talking to Timothy along the same lines. He says, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And then down in verse 15, he says a couple of other things there. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. This is not just about looking good. This is not just about being a leader. Timothy's been challenged to set an example. And why do you set an example? So people follow. So people see and imitate. He's saying to immerse yourself in these things. It's really important to understand that integrity is not about perfection. And I think sometimes we can get the two things stuck together. You can have amazing integrity and be imperfect at the same time. Those two things are okay. God's okay with that. He doesn't have an expectation of perfection. He does have an expectation of integrity. Because you can still have integrity when you get things wrong. You can still have integrity when you make mistakes. And you can even have integrity when you deliberately do something stupid. If the integrity recognizes and responds in a way that is honest and humble and teachable. Perfection is not the aspiration of integrity. It's how you deal with things when they go wrong not the fact that whether they go wrong or not. And I think it's really important to distinguish those two things. Today we want to be inspired by God's practice. But you see, practice has two meanings. The first is to do something repeatedly to get better at it. So you might practice playing the piano, or you might practice your basketball shot, something to repeatedly do to get better at it. But you don't want your surgeon be doing that sort of practice when he operates on you in his medical practice. So what he's doing is his practice is applying knowledge. That's the other sort of practice. He knows something and he's practicing it. He's applying that knowledge. And that's the sort of practice you want a surgeon doing, not the giving it a crack to get better at it one. Today, we actually want both. Today, we actually need to value and recognize both sorts of practice. The idea of exercising, training, giving it a go, what it looks like to be people of integrity, doing things repeatedly. But you also want to apply what we know, because there's things that we know that sometimes we don't apply. And what these verses point out to us is that it's not just for us that we do these things. It's not just for our benefit. We reflect God's glory and we worship him in our integrity. And importantly, this special, precious, divine gift that we're given is so that others see it. Our integrity is the primary thing we have to offer the world. Without integrity, 
the gospel is flawed. I believe that integrity and godly character is critical to the vitality of this church. And I believe God wants us to set a really high bar when it comes to integrity. Not to compromise what we believe. What we passionately value. And I want to give you permission to hold me account to my integrity. It says in 1 Timothy 3.2, So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. That's blameless to have good reputation. He must be faithful to his wife. He must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have good reputation. He must enjoy having gifts in his home, and he must be able to teach. So hold me accountable to that. If you ever see me not behaving like I should be, to be lacking in integrity, talk to me about it. And if you're not comfortable talking to me or you think that I might not receive it well, talk to an elder or deacon. Because they already know that they have that authority. Because I think it's so important, not just for leaders, but it's so important that we set the bar high with integrity. We have no credibility. We have broken relationship with each other. We have broken relationship with the world. And we have broken relationship with God when we lack integrity. If we're not real, if we're not honest, then all relationships crumble. And so I really want to set the bar high. And I want you to set me high when it comes to integrity. This is God's practice. Integrity is God's practice. It's what he models and what he calls us to. And there's no point moving on. And this is why I think God wanted us to pause at this point. Because there's no point moving on to other things that we can practice like God if we don't actually do a check here first. Because everything else doesn't matter. I can tell you a whole heap of things, but if I lack integrity, there is nothing to trust in me. No one enjoys it, but I actually sense that we need to do a personal integrity check. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. But I think before we head to next week and what goes on, between you and the Lord, I really want you just to say, hey, how's my integrity? Do I find myself lying to cover up or to make excuses? Are there things that my spouse or my parents should know but they don't know? Do I find myself saying one thing but doing something else? Again, as I've said many times, this isn't a witch hunt. This isn't about finding something that's not there. But it's absolutely as God prompts, as his spirit convicts, 
for us to say, hey, integrity is what I want to be. I want to be a man of integrity. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to have godly character. And so, Lord, reveal in me anything that makes me a hypocrite, that corrupts your gospel, that hurts relationships and destroys trust. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that you have created us to need you. We thank you, Lord, that we come to you today not as people that are pursuing perfection, but we desperately need your spirit. We desperately need your help. We desperately need your reminders. And Holy Spirit, we desperately need your fruit. Lord, in our weakness, we say, help us, Lord. And right now, Lord God, we want you to help us to check the integrity of our words, of our hearts, of our thoughts. Lord, we want to pause and don't want to take for granted your grace and your mercy, but Lord, we want to be people that respond in obedience, in surrender. So Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to speak to us. Lord, give us a project this week. Something we can champion in our lives. Something we can practice and apply that reflects your goodness and your glory and your integrity in our lives. Just invite you to speak now, Lord. The word says that God, God's mercies are new every morning. So I really want, I really believe God wants to encourage you that patterns that maybe you've suffered or you've, you've wrestled with for a long time, every morning get a new start. Every morning, get a new opportunity. Every morning is a new chance to surrender, maybe to repent if necessary, but to believe that God is leading you, equipping you, and spurring you on to be the man or woman that he's called you to be. Lord, I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. And I believe that as you practice integrity, God wants you to practice experiencing his mercies in parallel. Those two go together. The practice requires grace and is gracious and merciful. And he is a giver of good gifts. If the Lord's prompted you with something specific, 
can I encourage you to write it down, to set yourself a reminder at some point, maybe every day this week, if it's something that you need to be reminded of every day this week. I started by talking about things that are precious. I personally think there is no car on this planet that is as precious as the gift of knowing and experiencing the kingdom of God. It's way too precious to not deal with the barriers that corrupt that in our hearts. It's way too special to let slide and forget about. There is nothing that deserves your attention more than God, than his kingdom, than his ways, than his gospel. And some might say, well, what about my family? What about my work that put food on the table? You have nothing to offer in those spaces without the beauty of the gospel, without the beauty of the kingdom. And so I really believe God doesn't want us just to shelve this idea and make it about that message that once was spoken. But he wants us to daily, weekly, spur one another on, encourage each other to be people of integrity. So if there was something that you were prompted with, please do not shelve it. There's freedom on the other side of this exercise. There is absolute freedom on the other side of this exercise. If nothing came to mind, rejoice and continue practicing what God's already built into you. Delight every day in his mercies and the character that is developed and is continuing to develop. This is too important just to have as an idea. We've got to practice this one. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or feedback, please email us at hello at hoperevolution.church.